Hello, this is uh, Nathan, one of our secular media critics, and I was here uh, to give a short, uh, I guess, uh, review of my uh, uh, Loki episode three. Uh, I had to go back and record this, so I've already seen all of the episodes, so this is kind of a retrospective, but I'll try to keep it down to my thoughts I had uh, when I uh, when I saw it the first time. It, it was a pretty good episode. I'm not sure if it was the strongest episode of the series, but it, Definitely, uh, I thought it was definitely, you know, uh, pretty okay to, to really great. So, uh, uh, this episode following on the really great, awesome, uh, last scene from the second episode, uh, Loki follows Sylvie through the portal back to, uh, back to, uh, headquarters for the TVA. And, uh, she, uh, is, uh, supposedly planning on using the, uh, using all the chaos of uh, disrupting the timeline to uh, clear out a lot of the enforcers so she can get in and uh, kill the uh, the timekeepers. Loki, uh, having followed her, uh, decided to intercept her uh, in hopes to uh, stop her and look good to the TBA so he could kill the timekeepers, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of kind of hard to tell with that character sometimes, even in ret uh, retrospect. So they, uh, so they have the first of uh, several uh, action sequences that I thought were really good. They weren't too over the top. They were very, I mean, they they seemed kind of uh, kind of sci-fi-ish, but they were still pretty kind of kind of grounded. Uh, but I mean, even though it was like sword play and you know it was obvious choreography, but yeah. Uh, so they uh, so in an attempt to escape. Uh, once they're found by uh, by some of the TVA members, uh, they are teleported to uh, to one of the uh, disaster events that Sylvie hides in. On uh, I believe it's called Lamentus One. The music uh, at this point was really really hidden. Uh, I noticed a lot of a lot of uh, other uh, television and films sometimes will go kind of overboard, making the music overly epic, but. I feel like the epic music really matched the tone here, or it seemed to slightly enhance it, I would say. So that's one thing that really got my attention, especially on the rewatch when I was paying more attention to it. It was, it really stood out to me. It was a good job with the music and the, uh, they figure out a way to, uh, to try to charge a temp pad or some, is to try to hijack some kind of escape vehicle, uh, that has enough power to power the temp pad. And they have a really interesting kind of class awareness scene uh, when they try to enter the train, uh, which uh, goes their scheme went a lot better than I thought it would, and at least initially when they made it onto the train, led into a really nice, nice uh, 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 performance by Tom Hiddleston here, uh, doing his level best as Loki tried to uh, tried to basically charm offensive. Uh, Sylvie, uh, I presumed it was for, uh, to try to feel her out and to get a better idea of her powers, uh, or, uh, try to look for some kind of weakness, I assumed. So they, uh, so hijinks ensue, uh, they get dumped off the train and destroyed a temp pad. At least, I guess that's what Loki wants you to think at this point, but pretty sure it actually got destroyed. Once again, it's kind of hard to tell with a character like that, but, uh, uh, they lead into the end once again where the music is like really matching. I kind of like how they approach the theme of like hedonism in the face of 
Annihilation, there was a really stood out to me that there was like a nightclub where people were dancing, you know, as the, uh, you know, as everything was kind of falling apart. I thought that was really interesting that they bring up hedonism a couple of times throughout the show. That seemed like a, like another theme along with, uh, to go along with, uh, with the, uh, with the theme of things coming to an end, even though it's kind of ironic because the show is about, like, character kind of avoiding coming to an end in Loki. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's another great show. I'm pretty sure I'm going to rewatch, uh, the other episodes. So I'm sure it'll be, uh, it'll be as great the second time as the first time. Maybe I'll notice the little things a little more. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of discussion here and I'll make sure to, uh, to get everything out as soon as I can. Do you have anything, anything more that we've sort of really... Oh, yeah, we went way up for <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess for like... Uh, I guess we ought to do something for episode three. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, what I said earlier about Loki, I, basically was everything that I had to say about uh, yeah. about Loki that we've seen so far. Yeah. You know, is uh, although I will say that it was, you know, uh, episode two seemed really confusing to me yeah but episode three a lot less so i mean i, th- I think i was starting to get the point you know yeah. that there are some there are the good there are good guys bad guys and a few and sort of in between 20, and yeah. some of me really can't tell yeah i was really interested by i noticed that you were saying there's like no clear good guy and clear bad guy kind of deal. Yeah. Does that like does that ruin the story for you? No. Or, no okay. No, okay. it really didn't. Right. It really didn't. So it was just more like kind of getting your bearings. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, plus, I think it. I think it can be a really good plot de- device because that's can be part of the development. Right. Who kind you of know, emerges? Yeah. Who who, you know, who are the you know we're getting to understand really who these people are right you know are they you know is that government official who seems to be leading loki around by his nose really really the beneficent jailer he tries to make himself out to be or is he you know manipulative is he just a brown noser right you know just trying to ingratiate himself to Loki so he'd give up you know information right you know and so I think you know I think that's hopefully uh, you know a good thing in a um, in any kind of dramatic situation where you know you go in not necessarily knowing anything about anybody right and then you know over the course of you know the program the movie whatever you uh, you know you learn about who all these characters are. Right. So I thought it was, I mean, it was, you know, part of it was just when you already know a lot about the series yeah. from having well, seen other a- aspects of it elsewhere, but yeah. I knew nothing. And so it was just a matter of getting my bearings. Right, right. Well, I mean, I did kind of notice a few things that weren't necessarily just like tied into the, char- you know, knowing the characters. But I guess it's like, it's like, there was a really interesting thing. There was a reference at the end of episode two. The disaster they go to is like a super hurricane that comes in and basically like wipes out this whole area in the south oh, side yeah. of Alabama or something. Yeah. And it's like a company town. Yeah. And like company towns actually have like a pretty dark history. You know, that's where I, I don't know if I talked to you about that already. It's like 
basically the company builds the town and almost everybody who works there works for the company or they work yeah. for somebody who yeah. works, you know. So it's like, it's very like anti-democratic. It's, well, yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, it's a whole, yeah. whole literature of songs about, you know, and writings about yeah. company towns. Exactly. Know. Wasn't there like a famous country folk song about it? Probably. It's like you know, the uh, sold uh, the soul at the company store. Yeah, yeah. it sold my soul to the country store, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and you know any of the, uh, any of the leftist, you know, uh, whether it's um, uh, any of the, you know the anarchist or socialist writings are going to bring up, you know, the company towns as the prime example. Of what, yeah. You know they're trying to get away from. Yep. You know, cause, it's like dystopia. <laughs> you know? yeah, talk about dystopia. Yeah, yeah. The company company towns are exactly that yeah it's like it's like if your boss also was your mayor and your police chief and your, you know yeah. now that's it, horrifying it's <laughs> yeah. interesting you know i had to send you this um, uh, uh i had to send you this program by glenn gould because he uh, he, he was a canadian pianist who was really quite a virtuoso, excellent pianist, you know. Uh, but he uh, gave up a con his concert career entirely because he didn't care for performing. He just became a recording artist. And that gave him the opportunity to pursue other interests. He was a real media nut. Um, and he pursued uh, other things in radio, for example, and he would make commentaries on uh, mostly musical subjects. <clears throat> Once he had this program featuring uh, Petula Clark, I don't know if you who knew she was. She was a late sixties, early seventies, hmm. very popular vocalist. Hmm. And he did a, and it was totally uncharacteristic of him for him to comment on that because she was a popular artist. Hmm. But he made a commentary on that, but the whole commentary was couched in, you know, this whole Gouldian context, which, you know, was talked about other things. One of them was the way that he got interested in this is because he was, one of the things that he would like to do in order to think about how he wanted to interpret a piece of music would be driving along the, Inter-Canadian Highway, and the way that he got interested in Petula Clark is because the predictability of when the big hits would be played meant that he would hear Petula Clark's big hits at rather predictable times. He just started hearing them, and he started hearing things about them, which he found musically interesting. And along the way of this odyssey on the transcontinental highway, he came across this uh, Canadian town, I think, which was called Monarch, hmm. uh, which was a company town. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, except for the uh, smell of pulp, because it was a paper mill, oh, okay. uh, the way that he painted the town was actually very, he made it sound very appealing. Hmm. Okay. You know, maybe because it was very regimented, you know, and everybody, you know, had this place in the town. Right. So you it was know. very uh, streamlined. I guess, I guess that that kind of thing seemed very, you know, uh, 
satisfying to him. Mm. Maybe now that now that I'm talking it out loud, which I don't think anybody has ever pursued, you know, and studying Glenn Gould and his art was maybe that um, kind of comfort and that level of conventional life was due to some kind of autism. Hmm. You, know, you know, low level, uh, you know, maybe it was some kind of high functioning autist, right. autistic or, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what's that other uh, condition which is very similar to autism? Hmm. It's very similar to autism. Uh, Asperger syndrome. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard for them to focus on more than one thing. Well, needless to say, Gould was very good at focusing on one thing. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. Like, I always got the impression like artists were, like, mm, I don't know. I didn't think. I never got the impression like artists were like that in the order. But, I mean, I'm sure there's some artist somewhere that's very much in the orderliness. No, that's not necessarily true, I mean, because, well, it depends on the art, too. I mean, you know, the popular arts, you know, are a little bit different than the classical art. Right. You know, I mean, and even within the classical art, I guess you can, you know, um, uh, get get have a lot of different impressions. But many series of the... Uh, classical, you know, people who are, let's say, playing classical music, for example, uh, much of classical music is highly organized, and even when it's uh, putting forth a certain amount of adherence to chance and chaos, there is even still a need for a certain level of discipline. Right. You know, I mean, you never hear about you know, classical composers trashing their hotel rooms. Right. I'm sure they did, though. But somebody well, did. Well, I <laughs> can't know. think of any. Right. Uh, Trash yeah. the tavern. Trashing what? The tavern. Well, I can't, don't remember that. Oh, well, I mean, they're more paint. That's a painter thing. That's a painter thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Painters trash bars. Right, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, yeah, it just seemed kind of, kind of, I should have said, like, maybe, like, good artists. Now my <laughs> paint, none of my painter friends are going to get on my case for yeah. having said that.